But here's where it gets weird. All of a sudden, I couldn't remember. I kept asking the same questions over and over again. Why am I here? Why am I racing downhill? How did I get to Whistler? Welcome to Unspoken Bravery. I'm your host, Erin Milzinski, a multiple-time Olympian. Skiing started as my first love and quickly became my greatest teacher. This podcast is meant to take a deep dive behind the capes of our everyday superheroes and find out what's under the brave spirits, the fearless feats, and the nerves of steel. It's normal to feel fear. Hardships lurk around every corner. And yet these roadblocks can be met with a challenger's mindset and turned into wonderful gifts. It's time to celebrate imperfections, to build bravery from setbacks, and to take our goals to the next level. So let's dive right in. Welcome, everyone. Today, I decided to do something a little bit different. I've pre-recorded a few episodes recently, and we seem to always come back to my concussion history. So before we go any further, I wanted to stop and have a little story time with Erin and give you a little background about my concussion history so that everything makes a little bit more sense in past and future episodes. But first, I want to set the stage a little bit. I am at an off-grid cabin. There's no running water or electricity, um, but we have solar and we collect water from the lake. And I'm actually recording this in the work cabin with all the tools in the dark with the solar light just hanging above me. And it's actually where I recorded my first episode ever. So it feels like we're coming in a full circle here and it's been just over a year since that episode aired. And I'm really thankful for all of you for being here and really excited to continue. And so now let's get into my concussion history. As a kid, we didn't really talk about concussions in my family. My family was very careful about helmets, but we still wore helmets for many years in a row, wore ill-fitting helmets. We tried the best we could, but concussions kind of seemed unlucky. It seemed like something that wouldn't happen to me, wouldn't happen to our family. And not much was known in those days about concussions, Concussion protocol didn't really exist. You didn't really hear it on the sports channels. We didn't emphasize keeping athletes safe and just not that much was known. There wasn't as much research as there is now. The first time I ever questioned if I got a concussion was when I was around 13 when I was training for the Whistler Cup. If you know Whistler, you know sometimes in the spring the weather can get difficult. It was terrible weather actually, (laughs) Visibility was poor, the snow was wet, and I took a huge crash halfway down the GS course out of sight of any of my coaches. And it's so far away, it's so far back in time that I can't remember exactly what happened, but somehow I remember that to test for a concussion, I decided or we decided that the best thing to do was to close my eyes for a few seconds, let my eyes adjust to the darkness, and then open up my eyes. And if my pupils became smaller... I wasn't concussed. So they did. They adjusted to the light. So I wasn't concussed. And we just went on. And I was lucky after this because I avoided hitting my head for many years. There was a time that I hit myself so hard in the face with a slalom gait that I thought I lost all of my front teeth. But we will save that for another story time with Aaron. 
When I made the national team, we started working with Dr. Benson, who has extensive experience in sport-related concussion research. He just opened his own institute. He's amazing. And before each season, we would do extensive baseline concussion testing, including the SCAT-5, which our physios would perform or other medical professionals, and then the impact test, which is a test online. You need a mouse to do it. They ask you crazy questions. It monitors your reaction time and how you think and all these different tasks and a very extensive robotic testing. Um, you're actually harnessed in for this testing. So if you pass out, the harness catches you and it measures so many different things. And so the baseline testing really ensures that if we do hit our heads, we can compare our own previous results to the post-concussion results. Um, which makes it easier to diagnose a concussion because it's so hard to diagnose concussions. But this baseline testing is a key in concussion diagnosis. It's like the biggest thing that Dr. Benson could have given us. So the next scary experience I had was in 2008 in Pittstall, Austria. If you've been to Pittstall, you know that it has one of the scariest, steepest, and gnarliest pitches on any of the glaciers. Earlier that same camp, my teammate Ellie Turwill had torn her knee at the bottom of the pitch, and she had been having such a fast preseason in GS. And they never, we never really talk about how injuries of teammates affect us. We just get back out there, or if we're held at the start while they're cleared off the hill, we have to race that or train that next run. But I was shaken up. I was already scared of the hill and watching Ellie go down and she was skiing so fast. I was shaken up and we headed to the hill, same hill the next day. And I got down the first pitch and my coach lost sight of me as I went onto the flat and came over that next pitch. He couldn't see me. And all of a sudden he just saw my helmet rolling, bouncing, sliding down the icy hill. So what had happened is I caught my arm in a gate and it spun me, and then I slid into the next gate backwards, which launched me into the air, and I don't know exactly how it happened, but my helmet, still done up, ripped off my head, which is why it bounced past him on the hill, and I actually had cuts on my chin from it ripping off of my head, and I was in the air, and I covered my head with my arms, essentially making a helmet, and I landed back on the hill. And I called it there for the day. I was so scared. I didn't want to go again. I didn't want to wear that helmet again after it fell off and rolled down the whole hill. We did find it, though. And I borrowed Ellie's helmet for the next few days. And a belated shout out to Ellie for that. And I didn't, this wasn't a concussion this time. And I didn't have many intense helmet or concussion stories for many, many years, except honestly, all the time getting gates to the face in slalom. I would have to travel with three to four face bars because they wouldn't even last a day sometimes. It didn't matter the company, the fit, the placement, the material. I couldn't do anything to make them not bend, break, snap, everything until the last few seasons of my career. But again, we'll get to those stories another time. But then 2015 came around and... Before that season, I had two coaches who I trusted with my whole heart and who had been with me for a very, very long time. They moved on, and we got new coaches. It was such an emotionally tough, draining roller coaster of a season for me. It was March, and it was the Canadian Nationals in Whistler. And I decided to race all the events, even the downhill. But I had missed all of the training runs, so in order to race, I had to forerun the men's race, and then I was allowed to race 
later that day because a four-inning would count as a training run. And many of my teammates, which in hindsight, very intelligently, they pulled themselves from that downhill race because we had just landed from Europe the night before. We were all super jet-lagged. Our skis were in all sorts of bags. I remember pulling out my skis from under the bed because we couldn't have skis in the hotel room. And the visibility and weather were supposed to be brutal. And honestly, most of us just weren't downhill skiers at the time. And so my warm-up consisted of an inspection, and I could hardly even put two turns together because of the poor visibility. But I was super excited to race because I had won the Whistler downhill before, and I was I just wanted to step into speed skis again. And I remember that run being the best downhill, maybe the best skiing run of my life. I was like total flow state. Of course, that's easy to say in hindsight because I didn't get a time. I didn't make it down. And of course, I want to justify the injury. So of course I was skiing well, but I just felt so powerful and brave. And I was taking the risky line and I was able to pull it off. I was never super fast at speed, but I was usually safe and stable. So if you watched me, you wouldn't be really sketched out, but I never could put down those fast times. I don't think I had that speed skier crazy in me, except that day, that one run. And so I went over the last jump. I landed a little bit low and had to correct my line a little bit. And I felt like I caught an edge, but I saved it. And this is all happening very quickly. And thinking back, I think the moment that I thought I saved it is the moment that I ended up in the air. And I was skiing a right-footed turn, so heading towards the left. And I high-sided, which means that I went from standing upright to my head being faced and hitting the ground below me. And so I hit the right side of my head. And I was going probably over 100 kilometers an hour at the time. And I haven't seen the fall on video. I've heard that it's much more aggressive than I'm explaining, and it was pretty intense. But of course, as skiers, we kind of get bragging rights if we have gnarly crashes and we walk away from them. So you always want to see your crash and you always want it to look worse than, you know, how your body's feeling. So I don't know if people are trying to make me feel better. So if anyone has that video now, I think I'm ready to see it. Side note. But anyways, I remember a gay judge skiing down to me and they handed me my pole. I went through the finish line. I got my skis caught on the fencing because of course they're longer than slalom skis. And I went and sat down on our finish bag, which carries all of our jackets from the start to the finish. And I just sat there and I thought, wow, I just survived my first downhill crash. Like I'm pretty cool. But here's where it gets weird. All of a sudden, I couldn't remember. I kept asking the same questions over and over again. Why am I here? Why am I racing downhill? How did I get to Whistler? Which is, these are all, this isn't that weird. This is all very classic of a concussion. However, what's weird is that I remember not remembering. I remember asking those questions. This is firsthand memory, not someone telling me that this happened. I remember feeling so incredibly alone and scared sitting there. I remember being so confused and my brain just couldn't process anything. And finally our team manager came down and I remember, she's amazing by the way, but I remember just collapsing into her arms. And with her presence came this immense feeling of peace and emotion and gratitude. But finally I just felt like I wasn't alone and and things started to take shape a little bit. But of course I immediately started crying And I repeated 
the same and a few more questions to her. Where am I staying? Does my hotel have a kitchen? But these questions didn't even matter. It's just I couldn't come up with the answers. And I think she must have called my dad who was on the hill and he came down and I asked him all of the questions again. Plus, did you pick me up from the airport? What color car did we drive here? Why am I racing downhill? I kept coming back to this question. Why am I racing downhill? And my dad worries a little bit. He's a bit of a worrier, but he's a dentist by trade. And that day he was the epitome of calm. He was actually the best emergency contact I could have ever asked for. And I'm so grateful he was there because he, his medical side just came out. He was, his bedside manner was amazing. He did everything correctly. He kept me calm. He asked the right questions. He did the right things. He phoned my family. He phoned Lenny. He let everyone know what was going on. He just thought so clearly and and didn't make me more worried, which parents maybe can do sometimes. And he was just an angel to have there that day. And so eventually a ski patrol came down and insisted that I go back down and toboggan. I asked if I could ski down. He was worried that I'd lose my balance and fall and get more injured, which I understand. But again, we have these bragging rights as skiers, and I didn't want to take the toboggan down. I wanted to walk out or ski out or anything. I wanted to prove that I was okay, I wasn't hurt. And I didn't want to scare the younger athletes there. I was a more senior athlete even at that time. And I didn't want to scare the young ones who had seen me sitting at the bottom asking all these questions over and over again. So we compromised. He said that I could sit up in the back, which in hindsight, ego got in my way that day in every way, shape or form. I shouldn't have probably been racing. I probably should have dialed it back on a training run and I should not have sat up in the toboggan. The ski patrol had twin tips on and so I just ended up with a face full of snow and I was so relieved to finally arrive at the medical clinic in Whistler and uh, I, I wish I had just lied down but I was I thought that was defeat. I wanted to be that tough skier. In a previous episode I said that I ended up in the hospital In hindsight, that's not, it's a Whistler medical clinic. So I think you end up there if the ski patrols take you down and they have imaging and all those things there. Um, So it wasn't really a hospital. So when the doctor came to see me, he asked me to remember five words, um, five simple words. I remembered two to three of them. He asked me to remember them a few times and I could only remember two or three of them. And I kept laughing about it, which is very uncharacteristic of me if you know me. And so I was diagnosed with a concussion, of course, and my dad took me back to the hotel to rest, which I was so thankful to remember my hotel room number. I can remember that. Lenny took the earliest flight to Vancouver to help take care of me and be there with me, which again, I'm so thankful because he's such a calming presence. The next day I had three appointments. And so the first was a physio appointment and we did the SCAT-5 test to compare it with my baseline test from earlier in the season. And I passed with flying colors. I had no symptoms. I had no signs of a concussion. We even progressed to more aerobic exercises. Nothing. If we had used that to clear me to ski, I could have skied. And then I went to a doctor and she read my x-ray that I had had on my neck. And it looked a little bit strange to her, but the radiologist said it was within normal. I don't know. I had pretty bad whiplash from high siding at 100 kilometers an hour, but She did a few more tests, like I stood on one leg and closed my eyes, and and she pushed me a little bit, and I put my foot down, which is a sign of um, being concussed. And also, I stood with my back to the corner and did a pistol squat, one-legged squat. Can't remember if my eyes were open or shut, but uh, butt to heel, which I was really impressed with myself for doing. 
But apparently with my shakiness and I don't know how I used my core or something, she could tell something was off. And then I also drove to Vancouver. No, Lenny drove me to Vancouver, um, which was actually the worst symptoms I had the whole time that I had symptoms. Um, we went for lunch with friends and I just remember on the way home, just tipping back the chair and just resting my brain. Um, but my amazing, amazing eye doctor, and I'm so thankful that she could also see me. She realized that I wasn't converging words, I guess, between my left and right eye very well. She said this would heal and everything else looked pretty normal. So I was super thankful for that and thankful for her. But in the end, it didn't really matter the diagnosis because my season was over. I didn't have to fight to race the Olympics or world champs or something, which I'm so thankful for because I don't know what I would have done at that point, to be honest. But I pulled myself from the rest of the nationals races. Um, I stayed off of my phone. Lenny took my phone away and he answered a lot of my emails, which was a blessing because blue light is supposed to be really bad if you have a concussion. And um, I had a full month until our first on snow camp with new coaches again. And so I didn't really have to rush anything. And so as soon as I was clear to fly, Lenny and I decided to head to Maui because that was our plan anyways. And, and what a place to rehab. And so, but during the time I had a series of minor freakouts and the first was actually flying from Vancouver to Maui, going through security. And as I walked through the metal detector, the right side of my head lit up like a Christmas tree. And of course, the right side of my head is the side of my head that I hit on the ground. And I couldn't find a reason why this lit up. And so I was like, can bleeding in the brain cause this? Does it look like metal if that happens? I was freaking out. And the other thing is I was trying to jump into our car just using the step to get in. And I hit my head on the roof, on the ceiling, I guess. And I immediately started crying because I think probably the concussion made me more emotional, but I was so scared of a recurrent injury and trauma to my head so soon after the first. And we all try to not let that happen. But slowly I started to improve. I found an amazing physio in Maui and she had a huge interest in concussion. So she researched every night and she had done some courses for head trauma. So I got super lucky and she worked on my neck, of course, that whiplash. And she did so many vestibular and visual exercises. She made up these cool exercises, um, put sticky notes on the wall, made me move my head around, spelling my name um, with these glasses she taped out. It was really cool. And she ran me through some physical exercises and my trainer at home would also progress my training. So I was allowed to progress if symptoms didn't come on. And eventually I was able to get to a pretty normal, regular training regime. And um, it was a relief actually to to start to heal and to um, have this time. And during this time, I actually meditated every day because at the time I had read something that it was the only proven thing to help a concussion. And so I meditated every day without fail. If Lenny was windsurfing, I couldn't surf yet or anything, then I would meditate um, all the time. And this is kind of where I started meditating. So eventually I got to the end of the rehab game. My time had come to a close and actually it was more time than they suggest you take. Usually I think it's about 21 days with a concussion that's not super, super severe. And so I went back to Calgary. I got a checkup with the doctor for neck strength and things like that. I repeated the SCAT-5 tests. I repeated the impact test as well. And I passed the checkup and I passed the SCAT-5. And so I went to Sunshine to train with my team and these new coaches that had come in. So I was really excited. And most of my symptoms were gone. Um, I had a few lingering issues, like 
some dizziness, some headaches, and some neck pain, but it was mostly brought on with the whiplash, because of the whiplash, because of neck stuff happening. But a few days later, I heard that I had failed one section of the impact test, and it had to do with memory. And so I had to take it again, and if I failed again, I would have to go to a neurologist. There's like a one-fail limit. And I was freaked out. I was really freaked out and scared that something was wrong. And they had picked up on this with the impact test. And so I took the day off of skiing. I did the test again, um, realizing that I misread the instructions and the first time. And so I actually passed it this time, which was a relief. And I thought that I could turn the page. This concussion injury was over. It had come to a close. But in the years since, I've dealt with severe headaches especially after traveling or carrying a heavy backpack, probably they're migraines, but they're very severe, um, some dizziness and some neck pain. And I've hit my head a few more times um, in slalom because slowly I started phasing out speed and GS and focusing on slalom. And so I hit my head a few more times in slalom, always high siding, always falling down the hill, hitting my head on the icy steep below me. Each, pa- each time I passed the concussion protocols with flying colors, no loss of memory or anything, just brutal whiplash. And so it always would bring back the same recurring symptoms. Um, sometimes I even get the symptoms after a hard workout with delayed onset muscle soreness or if I work over my head or something like that. So it's ongoing. And my concussion happened seven years ago. And I'm realizing now that I'll probably never turn that page. I'll probably always deal with its effects for my life. And now I am so careful about wearing a helmet. I don't, when I was young, I used to not wear a helmet because I thought it was cool to wear a hat tearing B-nets or, you know, all these cool people were wearing these great toques skiing. And I never want to ski without a helmet on. I never want to bike without a helmet on. I'm a huge advocate of helmets being cool and wearing them all the time. And I think it's because I'm so scared of it happening again and having those symptoms again and having those scary tests again. Just the whole experience was, I don't know, a little bit traumatizing, I guess. And I can't tell you how scary it was to step into a pair of downhill skis again after that crash. And and for me, downhill was always scary enough as it was, especially on new tracks and things. But I kept reliving the feeling and the fall and remembering, not remembering, and all of the emotions that that brought with it. And I don't know, sometimes I think, would it be better if I had just had a little blackout period where I don't remember the crash or I don't remember that day or I don't remember not remembering? But I mean, maybe that could be even worse. That's pretty scary too, to have a whole period of time you don't remember. And I keep saying that when our bodies get injured, Sometimes there's a timeline and we know that timeline, but when we rehab our bodies, sometimes we fail to rehab our minds and our brains. And we assume that when we're ready to go with our body, our brain will be ready or it'll be ready as time progresses because time heals all, right? And people from the outside assume we are absolutely fearless when we come back. Some people actually talk badly about athletes that never make it back to their top speed after a serious injury especially if they don't, if they say they're not in pain anymore, but we aren't fearless. We aren't superhuman. We stand in the start gate and we do it scared. And sometimes slowly it gets less scary and sometimes it doesn't. And we stand in the start gate feeling our hearts beating out of our chests and we push out anyways. And we race down and we try to keep the flashbacks at bay. And we cross the finish line with a flood of relief and these crazy emotions and a 
and sometimes also a sense of shame that we still aren't as fast as we once were before the injury and maybe we're mentally weak now and maybe we'll never be fast again. And our bodies take time to heal. We know that. But so do our brains and so do our minds and so does that fear. And I can't, I can't emphasize that enough. And no two concussions are alike. The symptoms range drastically and they can last for years and they can last for days and they can last for sometimes a lifetime. And I've seen people recover from super, super traumatic head injuries and crashes and they are totally fine. And I've also seen people take fairly mediocre crashes and their personalities and everything about them is completely altered forever. And I'm not saying this to be scary or to scare you. And I'm not saying this to be dramatic at all. I'm just saying this because I am a huge advocate for concussion protocols, for wearing helmets. Helmets are cool. For baseline testing, before you hit your head, it's important to have that baseline. And for telling someone if you do hit your head so that they can help you and they can watch you and they can make sure you're safe. And the protocols, they're not perfect. We're still learning. Head trauma and everything we know about it is still new. And we always have a long way to go with medical stuff. But in my opinion, our brains are our biggest assets. And so why not do everything we can to protect them? Everything in our power to make sure that we don't have those symptoms or there's loss of memory times or have to go through all of the testing to figure it out. And so this concludes my story time with Aaron. And I hope that it tells a bit more of the backstory so that the episodes make a little bit more sense. So please join me in two weeks and we'll have our guests back. And I'll try to do this from time to time. Just tell a little snippet of my story. Hopefully I'll keep it short and sweet, although it's not what I'm known for, but hopefully my tea is still hot when I get back to it. But I just want to say thank you for this year. Thank you for tuning in and listening. And I hope that it made some sort of impact or someone's story touched you or inspired you and that it really normalizes our super people who have no superpowers and just do things scared. And so let's get real. I hope this gets real and I hope you get something out of it. And thank you for listening. Thank you for this past year and see you in two weeks. Thank you for listening to Unspoken Bravery. My goal with this podcast is to connect with you through real life experiences. So I would love to hear from you. A hello, feedback, future ideas, you name it. You can reach me on my Instagram account at Erin Milzinski or head to my website, erinmilzinski.com. If you like the podcast, please share, review and subscribe. I hope to see you back here to uncover your own hidden superhero.